0: Loving Father, as we come together this morning, thank you, Lord, for the beauty of summer as the land is refreshed. We thank you for all the fruit we're experiencing this summer. We just thank you, Lord, for the cool of the morning, the dew on the grass. It just reminds us, Lord, of your incredible inc- creation. And Lord, as we heard last night, yes, we are, and yesterday, we are, we are groaning, Lord, for that day when all things will be made new. But Lord, right now, we want you to make us new. Touch inside of our hearts and our minds and form our characters to be like you. Put your spirit upon Dick Dirksen this morning and give him words that would come from you. Be with us now in Christ we pray. Amen. Pastor Dick, where are you? Right there. Good morning. Boy, was I glad to hear that camp meetings started on time. <laughs> that was awful. Uh, I told you yesterday that I had a few copies of the book, 600 Minutes with God. They're over here on the corner, and Brenda's got some dollars. If you'd like to make a donation of $3 or more to Maranatha, there's a stack of them over here, and we're very glad for you to take those, especially if you've got a man friend somewhere in your life who could use a creative way to think about God. That's what those are for. Okay, commercial done. Uh, let's see, I was supposed to say two other things. Don't forget that the Maranatha Convention is the second weekend in September right here at Rolling Hills Church down by the end of 205. And if any of you are interested in going on a mission trip and have some open time right now, and like I mean tomorrow morning. No, not tomorrow morning. That wouldn't be a good time to go. Uh, but if you could do it today, that'd be fine. Uh, the North American Division Office of Education is building a school in Lesotho, South Africa. And they need help right now. And we built the steel for them in uh, Ecuador, or Honduras, I think it was, and shipped it across. And they're busy putting up a brand-new school right next to maluti hospital in lesotho and they could really use some help and so if any of you are interested in that kind of a mission trip the uh, the the places are open talk to dr wayne wentland he's probably the best one who can connect you into the right people in south africa the thesis that i have for today in when i was in college at La Sierra, I took homiletics from Elder Fagel, and Elder Fagel told us that you should never stand up without being able to say what you want to say in a simple sentence. <laughs> of course, I've done that every sermon I've ever preached. Uh, but today, I want to try that. The message I want to, to, to really help us focus on today is God loves me and needs me even when my life is empty. Is that a simple sentence? If Ms. Townsend were here, she would tell me. She was my seventh grade English teacher and she labored with me long one day I was speaking on Old Testament kings. That was my assignment at the Minnesota camp meeting. And Minnesota is, of course, a very cool state. It's frozen all the time except for a few days when the lakes fall out, according to Garrison Keillor. Um, hot, 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 nasty days. And my assignment is 11 o'clock in the morning in the auditorium and there's a crowd of people and there's this little white haired lady about three pews back who just sits and looks at me the whole time and and takes notes and you know I didn't think much about it until the third day when she came up and she said Dickie your spelling stills terrible (laughs) and it was Miss Townsend (laughs) I missed it completely and, uh, yeah, she was my seventh grade teacher. And what I had just come back from the mission field. My parents had me in Puerto Rico. And I think I've told some of you, we had 20 kids in the classroom. Half of us spoke English, half of us spoke Spanish, and we had a German teacher. And she's worried about my spelling. <laughs> a lot of other things I was worried about. Um, is that a simple sentence? It's got a comma, two commas in it, and so it mess- it's no longer a simple sentence, right? God loves us, comma, and needs us, comma, even when our life is empty. Amen. There are so many illustrations in my head that talk about that. But in your program, it says this is a Simon Peter story. So I'm going to start by reading you a Simon Peter story. Um, it'll take just a minute, but it's a story I want you to hear in the words that, as it was written. It was a monster storm, you know, not quite like the hurricane of O2, but packing enough of a punch to flip my little fishing boat, keel up on the Sea of Galilee. And throw even Jesus himself into the drink. We all should have drowned. The speaker was a grizzled fisherman, his face glowing with terrible memories, his hands clenching and unclenching, as if hauling in a net filled with fish. I was terrified. All you know and you all know fisherman Simon well enough to know that I don't terrify easily, the man continued. But last night the wind, the waves, the rain, the lightning woo! I've never seen anything like that before I was sure my life was ending but you're alive one of his listeners exclaimed what happened Jesus it was all Jesus fisherman Simon exclaimed when the storm was at its peak I woke him up so he would know that he was being drowned there's nothing worse than drowning and not knowing it's happening But when I woke him, he looked into the wild storm, felt the freezing rain, saw right through the fear in my face. Then he stood up in my flailing boat, stretched his arms out right toward the wind and shouted at it. The fisherman's face was locked in a grimace of amazement. Like he had seen something impossible, something he couldn't explain, something that would change him forever. He talked right into the wind like he knew it personally. Peace, be still. That's all he said. But right then everything stopped. The wind stopped. The rain stopped. The clouds stopped. The sea went flat, 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 flat like the top of a good table. Right that instant, just like that. I've never seen the light. Like. The wind obeyed him. Listened and then obeyed like it was afraid of him. Simon the fisher, story finished and life beginning, stumbled away from his group of listeners, heading back down toward his boat, shaking his head as if trying, trying to find a place to hang a brand new idea. Beside his boat, Jesus was waiting, ready. (laughs) There are four, there are more than four, but there are four major water stories in Simon Peter's life. That's one of them. It's just a, a simple story of a day when everybody in... Jesus' retinue was tired and went in the boat to get across the sea. And you hear what happened. You'll find that in Luke eight twenty-two. The other story that rings so hard in my heart is Luke chapter 5. And if you have your Bibles, you know the story. It's the day Jesus asked Simon to go fishing, when it didn't make any sense. Simon had never gone fishing in the daytime. He heard that his grandfather had done that once and everybody made fun of him forever. Because you don't fish in the daytime. There's no fish in the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee's fish are always available uh, at night because they go in schools and the water is clear enough that if you... Are out in a school in the daytime, all the fishermen can find you too easily. And so they go at night and they go way over by the seven springs where it's shallow. Or they go way deep during the day. And Jesus asked Simon to go fishing in the daytime. It made no sense. But then there's a lot of things about Jesus that make no sense. Because there's so many times in Jesus' life when he asks us to do stuff. That is totally, absolutely illogical. My favorite story about that is actually not a Simon story. It's the story of a man who is a prophet. He doesn't want to be a prophet, he just wants to be a guy. He's got a lot of good friends but he doesn't quite know how to relate to them because they're wealthy, successful, powerful. He's just a guy. Every once in a while, he'll, he'll be around his friends, and they, they say, Oh, hi! How are you, Nathan? It's good to see you. Yeah. Hey, tell us a story. <laughs> and then they'll laugh at the story and give him a pat on the back and enjoy his presence. And then move on because they're busy being rich, powerful, and well known. And one night, he's lying in his bed with his family all around. His little house is warm and cozy. A voice begins to talk to him again. The most uncomfortable moments in his life are when that voice begins talking. Because he knows it's going to disrupt what's happening today. Nathan? No. I need you to go to the palace? No. You know your good friend David? Yeah. You guys spent a lot of time out in the fields together when you were young around Bethlehem. Yeah. He remembers you. Yeah. Um, I need you to go talk to him. No. Because, you see, Nathan already knew the problem. Everybody in the kingdom knew the problem. Everybody except David knew that everybody knew. Uh, it's kind of hard to father a child, have the child born, marry the mother, and kill her husband without everybody knowing. I mean, it's on the cover of, of the National Enquirer at Safeway. I mean, it's, it's everywhere except in the palace, because in the palace, nobody knows. at least David doesn't think anybody knows I need you to go talk to him God why me because you can do it right so what do you want I want you to go tell him and Nathan took the notes and he says I can't just walk in there and tell him that he'll kill me he'll kill me and he'll kill everybody else who, who who goes against him Because a sinner blinded by desire is dangerous. I know. But I need you to go talk to him. Now, one of the most intriguing things about prophets is that they talk to God like that. Go back to Moses. Go back to Noah. Enoch. It doesn't matter who they are. You can feel the intensity of that kind of conversation. You can listen to Elijah, look God in the eye and say, I'm the only one and you want me to go out there and talk to him? Why, they're ready to kill me and I'm the only one left and even you don't care about me anymore. I mean, you can hear this kind of intense. You go look at the story of Gideon. Gideon's arguing with God. I'm convinced that the most that the easiest people for God to love are those who are comfortable arguing with Him. It happens. And every one of those people are sinners. Thoroughly aware of their sinfulness. Totally comfortable discussing that with God. Intensely. Some people call it prayer. Ellen White was very good at it. She would argue with God. She would say, I don't think so. I don't really want to send that now. And and there were these conversations that went constantly. And maybe that's what the relationship with God is really all about. It's those intense conversations where real emotions are shared, where your attitudes are open. I mean, like, one of my favorite moments in all of this is we were in Columbia, Maryland, And our phone rang at like 2 o'clock in the morning, 11 o'clock at night I think was the first one. And I answer, Dick Dirksen, you know, as if I'm wide awake, which I'm not. And the person on the other end of the line said, hi, my name is Amy and I hate God. And I said, well, thanks for calling. (laughs) And there was this silence on the other end of the phone. And I said, well, have you told God that you hate him? And she said, well, no. And I said, well, do that and call me back. Let me know how it feels. I hardly remember the conversation. I think Brenda said, who was that? I said, I don't know. Her name was Amy. What? (laughs) (coughs) She became a good friend. Is there anything you could tell God that would surprise Him? No. Including how much you hate Him? No. Including how uncomfortable you are when He asks you to do something you don't want to do? No, No, you can't surprise Him. He knows exactly how you feel. He knows exactly what's going on in our hearts and minds. So why are we uncomfortable telling Him? Let Him know. Be clear. Nathan's looking at God and saying, I don't want to walk into that palace. I don't want to walk up there. I am going to be the fool of the day. And I am not a joker. I don't even have a three-cornered hat. You know, come on, God. I don't want to do this. And God says, but I need you to do it. You're the only person who can do this and be heard. All right, what do you want me to do? Telling a story. And then God goes quiet. Well, later that day, Nathan, dressed in his prophetic mufti, walks from his house, way over there on the hills outside of town, to the palace. He comes through the gate. Old Abe, the gatekeeper, looks at him and says, what are you doing? I haven't seen you in town for a while. I know. Where are you going? Palace. Alice. Oh boy. Pray for me. (laughs) And Nathan walks on. Doesn't take long before everybody knows he's in town. And when the prophet comes to town, everybody takes a deep breath because nobody's sure who he's there to talk to. And all of us have something worth a discussion. He walks into the court of David's palace. Now, the court of David's palace is giant. It's got columns, not steel like this, columns that are carved out of cypress, cedar, whatever they could find that was beautiful. It's hung with Persian carpets, beautiful tapestries. It's a gorgeous place. There are people singing, there are people coming with their problems and at the very front on the dais is David's throne, gold, two giant gold lions beside it and the Lion King up on his throne, touching his spicknered laced beard and speaking wisdom to the people, giving them his best. Would you have taken your problems to King David, the adulterous murderer? I've met a few judges in my life who I didn't trust. But you go anyway, because they're the judge. I've met a few politicians in my life that I knew I couldn't trust. But I had no choice. They were still the mayor, the governor, the president. He's the king, the judge, the governor, the president, all of it rolled into one. The Lion King, God's man on earth, sinner. Hmm. Nathan walks in, and David sees him immediately. Nathan! <laughs> My, it's good to see you, old friend. Come on up here. Tell us a story. Nobody can tell stories like you tell stories. Come on up here. I want to hear. And Nathan shambles on down the carpet all the way to the Lion King's throne. The place is deathly silent because though Nathan sees his old friend, everybody else sees the finger of God. Pointing at the one who deserves it the most. And Nathan greets his friend and begins the story. Oh king, story, I got a story for you. It's a story that happens out on the hills, way out to the east of here. You know, there's an incredibly wealthy Israelite out there. He's got fields and he's got cattle and he's got sheep and he's got donkeys and he's got camels and he's got everything a man could ever want. He is one of the happiest people I know. And David leans forward and says, ah, tell me more. That's the way my people ought to be. (laughs) It's good. Tell me more. Oh, and, and down the hill from his house is the house of a little tiny farmer. It's not much of a family. Uh, there's a husband, a wife, a little kid, and they have a one baby goat. It's the most darling baby goat. You would, would love it. You know, I know how much you love baby goats. Oh, wow. Oh, They just hug that thing. They take care of it every day. It sleeps with them. If you were there in the evening, Father would be reading stories and the goat would be on his lap in front of the fire. (laughs) And David tears in his eyes. He says, you know, it's good to be rich, but it's better to have love. Go on, go on, go on with your story. And Nathan says, well, A traveler, a stranger, on his camels came to the wealthy man. And as it is in our country, he who comes to my home asking for my help and hospitality receives my best. And he received the best. Because he came, and the rich man said, "Come, you can sleep in my bed. You can have my room. Is there what food would you like today?" And the man said, "I would like." You see the problem I built for myself, because it was a lamb, not a goat, and so now I've got to have the the, the merchant's got to say he wants goat chops. So can I fix this? Thank you. I would love lamb chops, but I would like them made out of the smallest, little, most beautiful goat you could find. Oh, no problem. I've got herds and herds. And then he turns to his servant and says, go get the lamb that looks like a goat <laughs> that's down at the farmer's house. And so the servants go down, they take the lamb away from the family, they bring it back up the hill, they turn it into lamb chops and serve it to the stranger. And the people in the little house have lost their love. And David is now standing in front of his throne. The tears have turned to fury. His eyes of pleasure have turned to anger. There is fire in them now. And he reaches down, grasps one of the golden lions and says, Nathan, who is that man? He must be killed. He must lose his life. No one in my kingdom can act that way. That's wrong. I was raised believing that at that point, Nathan took a bony finger, pointed it at David and said, You are the man! In humiliating hostility. And that was my picture of God. And then one day, I came to my Bible class as a an academy junior. And, I don't know, we had a new Bible teacher. It was right after Christmas. And uh, he was sitting on the desk, simple khakis and shirt. Never seen this guy before. Kind of rolly. And we all filed in, sat down in our chairs and He stood up and he said, you know, I've never taught Bible. My name's Jake. I've never taught Bible, but the conference has asked me to fill in since there was an opening here over Christmas, and so I'm going to be your Bible teacher now, and I really don't know where to start except to do my very best to help you fall in love with my best friend, Jesus Christ. And uh, Terry Paxton, who was behind me, raised his hand and said, So, do you ever have a real job? (laughs) I love high school kids. And Jake said, Yeah, for a while. Last ten years, I've been a Marine Corps drill sergeant. You know, that'll change our behavior really quick. I mean, we decided to respect this guy and to enjoy his love for Jesus (laughs) really quick. And I can honestly point a significant change in my life to Jake Duran in his Bible class because I did fall in love with the Jesus he'd fallen in love with. Amazingly, wonderfully beautiful. And one of the things Jake taught us is that at that point in this story... We must find him and kill him, says the king. An old friend from shepherd days in Bethlehem, Nathan, dressed in shepherd clothes, standing before his wealthy, powerful friend king, the sinner, says, It's you. you, David. I'm sorry. And David collapses in his chair, puts his head in his hands, and begins to weep. It is me. God knew Nathan was the one who could tell a story that, Nathan, that David would believe in such a way that instead of hostile aggression, fix the sinner... It would be, your net's empty, your life's empty. I need you more now than ever. Please, may I use you. And in David's weeping, he became believable to the people. The tabloids printed it the next morning. You could go to any Safeway in Israel and you could read page after page after magazine after magazine and all of them shouted the same thing. David forgiven! Because before it was over, Nathan was looking into David's eyes and saying so that everybody around could hear, this is what God has said. I have given you the best. I have given you the finest. I have made sure you were the wealthiest. You have the best clothes. You have the finest families. You have everything. And if it were needed, I would have given you more. That's the way God feels about each of us. He wants to fill us with everything He has. And more. And if we want more, ask. I will give you. All you can handle, all you can live with, because as my servant, you need to be well supplied. The last story in the book of Peter is found in John, last page, chapter 21 afterward Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the sea of of Tiberias it happened this way Simon Peter Thomas the one they called Didymus Nathan from Nathaniel from Canaan Galilee the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples whose names I forget I don't know why he doesn't give them names and two other disciples he's already called his own name why doesn't he just tell us who they were I, there's so many things I want to ask when I get to heaven. And I want to find John and say, who were those other two and why didn't you give us their names? I forgot, you know, I don't know. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. Isn't that just like Simon? Jesus is dead, Jesus is resurrected, Jesus is alive. Jesus has told them all, I need you to go out and tell the world who I am. And Peter goes fishing. I mean, how does that match anything God's asked you to do? But he went back to what he was most comfortable with. He didn't know what to do with his life, so he went fishing. Well, that may not be all bad. I've never caught a fish, but some of the best thinking I've ever done was fishing. <laughs> I'm going fishing, 7 so Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. We don't know what to do either. We'll all go out and sit in the boat and think about fish. So they went out, got into the boat, caught nothing. Early in the morning. Can you imagine all night fishing, not catching a thing? What did they talk about? That was a really depressed group. They had no idea what to do with the rest of their lives. Jesus was alive, but he was gone. And what do they do now? Well, I don't know what to do. Should we go to to Cana? Should we go to Jerusalem? Should we go? I don't know. I have no idea. You know, they were just footloose and fancy-less. They had no idea what to do. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. They were so busy looking into their own empty nets, empty lives, empty everythings, that they didn't even know it was him. He called. They didn't hear his voice. It's just awful. Have you ever been that way? So far from God that you couldn't even recognize his face or understand his voice? Oh, here's Peter. He he knows he's a failure. He hangs his head when anybody mentions Jesus' name. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was him. He called out to them, Friends, do you have any fish? Why would Jesus do that? He knew they hadn't caught anything. This is the omni knowledgeable God. This is the He knows everything. He knows what they're thinking. He knows their nets are empty. Why does He call attention to their greatest failure? Friends, you have any fish. No, they answer. And he says, throw your net on the right side of the boat. There's a whole bunch of fish waiting and they do still not knowing it's Jesus I mean who else in the universe would tell you you're on the wrong side your nets where you always fish fish where you don't ever fish and you'll be wealthy who else would point to your greatest failure give you a bizarre solution that you already had seen him do once before and he's the only person on earth who's ever told you to fish at the wrong time in the wrong place And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, who loved being loved by Jesus, said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard John say it, he wrapped his coat around him, for he had taken it off to be a fisherman, and jumped into the water. How stupid is that? So you're going to go swimming. You put your coat on? I mean, Peter is so completely out of it, he does the opposite of what a normal man would do. And he jumped into the water. Now the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards out. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. How did Jesus get the fish? Yoohoo! Five! Two! How did He get the fish? He didn't have a line, He didn't have a net, He didn't have a boat, but there's fish frying in the morning. Never think you need something He can't provide. Anybody who can drop fish into the pan on the edge of the Sea of Galilee without net... I mean, just by saying, Yoo-hoo! Jesus said, Bring some of the fish you've caught. And Simon Peter climbed onto the ship and dragged the net ashore now it was full of fish large fish 153 of them that's my favorite moment in the story how many who counted them who took the time i think it was john how many were in that somebody someday is going to want to know how many boat how many fish were there 153 okay so many that the but the net was not torn you see the net was only listed for 124 Jesus loves us when our nets are empty Jesus needs us when our nets are empty When you look into your life, when you look into the mirror of who you are, and you see nothing but a sinner, a dirty, evil, mean, and wicked, awful, bad, and nasty sinner, Jesus needs you. Somewhere he's working on Nathan to come and tell you a story. Somewhere he's standing on the shore, looking out to your empty net life, and saying, hello, how you doing? You still committing adultery? God has a unique skill of finding whatever it is that's our greatest pain and making it hurt a little more. So that He can heal the pain. Caught any fish? No! Try the other side of the boat. But, sir, we never fish on that side. We always fish on the left side. That's where all the grappling hooks are. If we fish on that side, the the boat probably will tip over because we've got the rudder lot. There's a thousand reasons that's stupid. Fish on the other side because the craziest answer to your life is the best answer to your life when I recommend it. There's a guy on the shore calling your name. There's a prophet walking up with a story. There are a thousand ways God's reaching out to you. when your net is empty, when your life is broken, when there is no hope, He's there. and he's eager to hear you telling the truth. No, there's nothing in my net. Stupid to fit on that fish on that side. Kill that man! Whatever it is that your immediate response is, the one that's wrong. And he says, just get into the circle of my conversation here because all the power in the universe is mine and I'm giving it to you right now. God loves empty netted people. Because he knows how to fill the net. Lord, as we are, we come to you. Create a Genesis week from the chaos of our lives, set our broken bones to dancing. with you. Amen.